Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for Saundo and Redders talking cricket. And the great man himself is here, Dan Saunders. Good evening to you in Newcastle, sir. How are you? Hi, Dave. I'm well, thank you. How are you? Mate, going okay. Um, uh, yeah, look, um, I'm very worried about what's going on in our society at the moment, particularly in Newcastle. And I just wanted to, um, without being negative, I wanted to wish everybody all the best. Um, and I just hope everybody's safe and well. And um, what's happened isn't very fair and isn't very good, but this this particular pandemic doesn't care about anybody and anything. So just my best wishes to everybody in the Newcastle, Lake Mac and Maitland and Hunter Valley areas. I'm, I'm thinking of you at the moment and we all are. Dan, um, we've got a lot to talk about tonight. There's all sorts of things you've got ready for us tonight for our, for our listeners. And I do thank people for getting back to us and letting us know that they're listening to our podcast. I think the, 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 the podcast is slowly growing and I think we're getting people listening to us, which is lovely. Yes. And you, you got to start somewhere and we're enjoying it. And the feedback has been uh, uh, pretty good, to be quite frank. And to be quite honest, I wanted to say thank you to people for listening to us and the, the, the few people that have had a bit of a chat say, look, they're enjoying it. So, and they're enjoying the wisdom of the great man, D Saunders, I must admit. Not so much <laughs> me, the gibberer, but they are enjoying uh, your, your insights. So well done, mate. And, and let's just hope we can continue to develop the podcast. Um, I'm enjoying it very much with you. Uh, you and me both. Um, I enjoy it. Love talking cricket and, of course, the Suburban Districts competition. Very passionate about that. Um, so, yeah, as much coverage as we're able to give it, um, all in, all in favour of. So, far away. Shall do. Our scores on the weekend. We had a draw, um, and Dan will talk a little bit about that, and, and we'll have a very, uh, just a little bit to say about that. Again, that was the West Journeyman, and Nelson May couldn't get on a Blackley Oval. Now, and there are a couple of very good games and a couple of utter shellackings. One of the good games was Merriweather and Adamstown Premier Hotel. Um, Premier, um, Merriweather made 179 for eight off their 40. And Adamstown Premier Hotel ended up nine for 144 chasing. So good solid win to Merriweather. In one of the games that was an absolute shellacking, Maryland Mudrats five for 43 defeated Newcastle, Newcastle City Adamstown Rosebuds 40 at Connolly Park. 15 wickets for 83. And, and I'm sure Dan will have a bit to say about that. In a game that was an absolutely outstanding tight game of cricket, the best game of the weekend at Jesmond Park, Walls End 7 for 125, defeated the West Waterboard 122, back to form for Walls End. Um, and uh, we'll talk a bit more about Mr. Sharma, who's taken four for an eight and produced 41 as well to produce a man of the match performance. And Dan told me about this score. This is one of the best scores I think that we've commented on this year, Dan. 227 for five for the Pythons. I've just been waiting for someone to really get let rip, and they did, and they belted Redhead, who can only make 69, a massive win to the Pythons. Dan, we'll start up the top of the round results, and it's Adamstown Premier Hotel and Merriweather. Merriweather, 179 for eight, and Adamstown, nine for 144. Dan Saunders, go for your life, sir. Yeah, look, um, this was a game last week I said would probably be what I'd consider the match of the round if I was going to go and pay money to go and watch. And I actually, our game finished quite early. Um, so I managed to get over and watch probably the last third of this game. And it was, um, yeah, good game of cricket. Um, Paul Dan's batted a good part of the Merriweather innings, um, anchoring the 74 from that 8 to 175 for nine boundaries. Um, not too much support there until you get down to the wicketkeeper, Jared Marlborough, scoring 25 late in the innings. Uh, no real big partnerships to speak of. Uh, 42 for, it looks like the sixth wicket with, I think it's Stephen Pride who scored 13. But Paul Dan, 
Um, a good pickup for Merriweather this year. And without that innings, Merriweather's could have been a lot of trouble in this game. Uh, Doug Giles, the main wicket taker for the Premier Hotel, with three for 32. And um, he's been, he's actually had a good double up of the game, opening the batting and the run chase. So 179, remember last week, Merriweather batted first, we can only get 112 in 40 overs. Yep. Um, but what Merriweather have done and what they always find a way to do, and I can't harp on enough about this, they always find a way to bat their 40 overs. Yep. You bat your 40 overs in this competition, you increase your odds dramatically of, of winning the game. So 180, or what, well, 180 was the target, four and a half and over. Um, the outfield had been mowed. There were parts of the ground that were still a little bit how you're doing from the weather we've had. Yep. Um, but the Premier Hotel, they've only fallen. I mean, they've batted their 40 in the run chase, so they've given themselves every opportunity. Um, only nine down, so they weren't bowled out. Falling 35 short. Uh, they've given a really good account of themselves. Again, Doug Giles doubling up with his three for with 46. Uh, Peter Murray batting at four, scoring 36 from 48. And at two for 114, they probably thought themselves a big chance of um, getting the chocolates here the Premier Hotel, as we said, they've been very consistent with their cricket. They knocked off Walls End there a couple of games back. Were very unlucky last week against Nelson Bay, and three three games back um, gave the Mudrats a very big fright. Yep. Um, yeah, the bowling for Maryland, Matthew Riding three for twenty six from eight, supported by uh, Ben Troke two for eighteen from his eight, and Jason Pratt and two for twenty eight. Right. So Mary were the back into the winning circle and, well, depending what's happened with all this COVID stuff, but if all games go ahead on the weekend, I do believe Merriweather will be back to full strength this Saturday. So yep. they do have a number of players who are due back. Um, Darren Cussins is the one name that really stands out who has been the backbone of that Merriweather middle order for over a decade. A quality cricketer and like a good bottle of red, he just keeps getting better with age. So uh, Casso will be a very welcome addition to that Merriweather top order. Dan, um, we'll be careful what we say here um, because mm-hmm. we're both involved in the game and we're both accountable for what we say in this podcast. West Journeyman and Nelson May couldn't get on a Blackley Oval. Um, we were talking off air on Sunday about some, some things. Um, I won't repeat um, all of that conversation. I don't think it's fair. But there are, I think it's fair to say there's been some issues throughout the season at Blackley Oval. And unfortunately, it's um, uh, they've had more issues on the weekend. That's about all I'm prepared to say. Yeah. Look, it's very frustrating for all parties involved. Um, the, the ground hasn't held water well this year. Um, the, the main issue that we have in Newcastle at present is the, the lack of available turf wickets. The number one sports ground still under, I guess, reconstruction. Um, Islington Oval, a former grand of the the one-day social cricket being used by City, which is fine because that's a replacement grand for number one sports ground. Yep. Um, it's, I guess it's one of the negatives of the growth of cricket in Newcastle. The turf wickets that are available haven't grown as the competitions and the, and the, and the team growth. Um, it's, it's something that all parties are working together to try to Yep. have a positive outcome for. Uh, next season, hopefully that issue will be gone. Um, but for the second half of 21-22, um, I think the best thing, the best, best way to tie a bow is that all relevant parties are working together to try and get as many games of cricket on the park. 
Uh, and that's 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 I reckon that's the best way we can look at it is that yeah. with everybody is trying their backside off to get cricket played because as we're it we'll see in later in the ladders this is an extraordinarily close competition and losing points when there's drainage issues and so forth could very well cost you a spot in the eight or cost you a, a double chance and so forth so no very well said. The next game was an absolute thriller. This must have been so exciting to be at Jesmond Park. Um, and suggesting, again, Dan has repeatedly said this, so we won't talk about it too much, but it was suggesting this was a pretty spongy, slow outfield. West Waterball batted first, 122, and Dan has been harping on about this for weeks. They batted for 33 overs. Even if they get three and over for the last seven, they end up with 143, and that could have been very interesting. Um so Westwater ball 122 off 33. And Walls End, unusually for them, took a lot of overs to, to get them. Their, their modus operandi has been to score on a run a ball. They didn't. They actually got these runs seven down. They got them seven for 125 off 33.2 overs. As I said, a fabulous tight game of first a suburban districts division one cricket. And in my short time reviewing this this particular competition, um, these sort of games are happening quite a lot. Low scoring, tough, tight, and exciting. Dan Saunders, over to you. Yeah, yeah look, um, as you said, very tight clash at Jasmine Park. Now, Walls End, yeah, they're coming off the back of back-to-back losses. So they won the toss and actually sent the waterboard in the bat, which is very unlike the Walls End team I'm familiar with. So obviously there was tactic or plan in place there. Um, and it's worked for them. Um, I would suggest that maybe chasing and setting a measured uh, pace may be the way to go over just the blitzkrieg from ball one batting first. It's a really hit or miss. If it comes off, it's fantastic. But if you fall in a heap early, it, it puts too much pressure on, on the rest of the team. Um, waterboard started very poorly out of the box. They were two for five early before a 65-run partnership between Jacob Rippon and Matthew Herriot. Now, Matthew Herriot, this was his first game of the season. I believe his first game for the Waterboard Cricket Club, playing out of West, of course. Uh, Matthew Herriot's top score with 54 from 62 with five boundaries. So not a bad knock first up from a spell. Yep. Uh, yeah, and not too much support there. There was a 15 here by Richardson, not out. But 122, as you stated, bowled out in 33 overs. That's seven overs. Uh, could have proved costly. Um, Vikram Sharma is a destroyer, taking four for 51 or six. So very expensive, going at eight and a half and over. Very uh, quality cricket, though, Vikram Sharma. Um, but 122, Walls then would have been quietly confident, I would suggest, in that run chase. Now, believe it or not, there was another V Sharma in this game, Varun Sharma who top scored with 41. Um, so two different individuals. He's opened the batting with Rowan Mothel. Looked like they got off to a reasonable start. Well, very good start. They put on 53 for the first wicket, then lost three for six. So that could have been uh, drama stations for Wall's End, but they managed to solidify Shafiq Syed coming in at five, scoring 28. And Pandit, who held the innings together last week with with 20 from about 60 deliveries against the Pythons. He scored 11 from 24, uh, but was a part of a 36-run partnership to get their innings back on track. Um, Jacob Rippon took the bowling figures, two for 24 from eight. Adam Javik, two for 26 
from his eight. So I think that's back-to-back losses for the water board. And that's a win for Walls End coming off the back of a couple of losses. And as we'll look at a bit later on, uh, it's made the competition ladder just a very interesting reading. Oh, it is fascinating reading, although there is a little bit of separation now between 9, 10 uh, and, the, and the just a little bit of separation just, just, just starting to happen. Okay, the next game, unfortunately, was... Well, I'd love to see what went on at Connolly Park. All we can say is there must have been a bit in the deck here, Dan. The Newcastle City Adamstown Rosebuds all out for 40 in 19.1 overs with one person making double figures. An extraordinary, extraordinary scoreline. And in reply, Mary Ellen did it very tough, 43 for five chasing. Um, Interestingly for me, in that game, Cameron Roxby didn't bowl a ball and batted at seven, which is a little bit unusual. Maybe he was late to the game and with work or something. I don't quite know. But, Dan, what an extraordinary scoreline this is. You know, uh, 15 for 83 in the match. Dan Saunders. Yeah, very interesting. Look, the third consecutive game with the team winning the toss has sent the opposition into bat. So based on that alone, there might have been, my memory's not the greatest these days, but did we get a bit of rain in the later end of last week? We probably did. It seems like it's been raining a lot. (laughs) I don't think it rained on Thursday and Friday. And remember that it's it's hard for me to judge because the rain patterns in Newcastle are different. Different The the rain patterns from Newcastle to Toronto, they have different patterns than to Nelson Bay. You can get a washout of Don Waring or Salamander and there won't have been any rain at Stockton, which is not very far away. I work in Sydney and live on the Central Coast, so it's very hard for me. But we there was some rain at the start of last week and I think what that would have done is it would have affected the preparation of decks. Yeah. So it's distinctly possible that decks were green tops like, like sometimes you see in the Sheffield Shield at the Gabba whenever New South Wales play Queensland up there because Queensland don't reckon we can handle it, so they water the pitch. Sorry, Queenslanders. But, uh, yeah, clearly here there's been some decks that I, I think the curators have been lucky to get on. So, yeah, um, look, and not really much to talk about. With dismissed for 40 and 19 overs. Um, I'd say Rosebuds will just tie a bow on that and look forward to this weekend. Uh, Josh Bennett, four for 12 from eight overs. Uh, very impressive uh, spell of bowling and ably supported by Mac Price, who took three for 26 from eight. Um, as you said, Cameron Roxby wasn't required with the ball. Could have been a case of sharing it around. May have been late getting to the game. Um, who knows? But again, the, the wicket must have had some uh, spice to it. As you said, Rosebuds took five wickets, so they haven't gone down without a fight. And uh, Corey Bruce, a name we've been hearing a lot of out of Rosebuds this season, uh, bowled seven overs and took three for 16. So he's troubled them. Burrows before overs, two maidens, two for nine. Um, but again, Brendan Frost hasn't batted. Callum Beamish hasn't batted. And Cam Roxby's come in at seven to steer them home. So fair to say the Mudrats weren't really any trouble in that game overall. But again, good to see the Rosebuds putting up a fight. Uh, 40's always a tough total to defend. I mean, realistically, not too many games get won with 40 on the board, but um, hopefully they can take that fight and move on with that, just tie a bow on that game and, and move on to next week. Dan and I had the pleasure, of course, of commenting on the other Josh Bennett on Sunday, who bowled beautifully at Lynn Oval in the, in the Plan B, taking four for in a, in a, in a 220 game. But he, he and, uh, just to digress for one second, he and Angus McTaggart were superb. 
uh, for the Newcastle Blasters, Dan. But it was great. To, it was my first real good look at Benoa because he's come back to cricket in Newcastle. So uh, that was, again, and again, thank you for spending the day with me in commentary. I actually loved every minute of that. Ah, pleasure's all mine. Absolute ball, always is. Thank you, sir. And we're going to go on now to, um, and this is one of the first times that this has happened this season, one team decided to really put the foot down and make a really, really good score. And this is more typical of the NDCA first grade 40 over games where they go to at five and five and a half and over. Interestingly, this game was at King Park five and I'll bet you it was a bit drier and they've had a chance to get on. Um, we spoke about this game last week that uh, Port Stevens might cause redheads some problems. Did they what? Port Stevens five for 227 off. 40 overs with John. Now, I believe your guest on Thursday, on, on Tuesday night on, on Sports Stevens might have been uh, the top scorer here. Would that be right, D Saunders? He was to be. Unfortunately, due to the current COVID situation, uh, the show was a late scratching. The station was closed for the day. Um, no, he'll be I, back on this Tuesday night. Apologise for that. I, I was, I, look, I, I, was very, I assumed that they'd gone ahead. I know how much you were No, no, no. Um, but so okay, just, certainly rain checked to this Tuesday night. Yeah. Uh, Josh Moxie, 71, really good scores throughout. Um, Williams, 29. Um, out the, the other Moxie brother, uh, 24, Kirk and Hawley finishing off very nicely with 36 and 23, leaving them five for 227. And uh, a very, very, very good score. And in reply, Redhead um, absolutely belted all out for 69, uh, including a retirement. So I just hope that uh, Monk's okay. But... Uh, no, just a con- convincing, overwhelming performance from from the Port Stephen Pis- Port Stephens Pythons. Dan, over to you. Yeah, sir. look, in in chatting with a couple of the Pythons players over the weekend, um, apparently the ground wasn't as dry and as uh, free flowing as you think. If you have a look, they've only in that two hundred and twenty seven. They've only hit six boundaries in that innings, six yeah. fours and six sixes. Now it doesn't matter the state of the outfield when you're going over the top. Um, but yeah, Captain Josh Moxie um, in the runs leading from the front was 71 from 92, only three boundaries in that 71. So apparently the outfield was quite lush and they really worked hard. That 227, from what I've been told, 280, 290 could have been on the cards. Wow. A, a, a really fine batting display. Uh, Lee Williams, 29, in an 83 run opening partnership with Josh Moxie, Jared Moxie is the leading run scorer in this first division competition um, as of now, scoring 24. And then some lusty hitting there towards the back end of the innings. Jeremy Kirk, who I'm told had a man of the match performance of 36 from 23 balls, 20 of those in boundaries. So of a whole innings of six boundaries, six sixes, he's at two of each. And supported by Brock Hawley, 23 not out from 15. Five for 227. Um, looking at the redhead bowlers, it's probably not too pretty a sight. Kyle Burrows, two for 41 from eight. Chasing 227 at King Park. And the best of times is always going to be a run chase. Chasing 227 on any ground in 40 overs is always going to be a very tough run chase. Now, Redhead, uh, we're down a couple of trips. Uh, no Richard Millman, no Joey Parsons once again. So it was always going to be tough. Someone had to go big. Unfortunately, wickets fell early and fell constantly. Um, Chris Mitchell scoring 32 from 45 was the backbone of that redhead innings. Uh, very seasoned campaigner, Chris Mitchell. 
Um, but 32 out of that 69, um, yeah, three for 17. They didn't recover. Jeremy Kirk, five overs, four maidens, one for two. I was advised that he would have had even more impressive figures if he didn't have to leave to go to work. So five overs, four maidens, one for two. You can't ask for much better than that by your opening bowler. And supported there by Matty Dean. He took three for last week um, in the win over uh, Wall's End. He's taken another three for 17 from five. So the Pythons with back-to-back victories and on quotient putting them on top of the ladder as uh, of press time. I'm just wondering um, if Matt Dean still bowls off-breaks because he's actually quite a skillful off-break bowler. And I'm, my memory is that when he played, played uh, for the Seagulls that he wasn't bowling off his. So I'll be very interested to see if I can get to a game and see if he's still bowling off his. A very, very good performance there. Dan, um, before we go um, any further, you've got some other things to talk about. Would you like to talk about the player of the year points or the ladders first, please, sir? I know you've got a lot of work prepared. Where would you like to go next, sir? Uh, I think we'll, if we can cover the ladder first, then we'll have a um, look at the, the player of the year points. So we were talking last week about how phenomenally close this competition is. Um, it still is. However, there is now a two-game difference between the team that's on the top of the ladder and the team that is just outside the eight. And in this competition with only three-point wins, that's significant. In order, from 10 up, Adamstown Premier Hotel are on 14 with a quotient of 0.79. Newcastle City, Adamstown Rosebuds are on 15 with 0.63 quotient. In the eight, Nelson Bay, after a draw, 16 and 0.68. Redhead, 17 and 0.72. Merriweather, a 6, 18 and 1.34. Walls End, 19 and 0.96. West Waterboard, 19 and 1.01. West Journeyman, 20 and 1.21. Mary Ellen, 21, 1.25. But as Dan's just alluded to, Port Stevens have done their quotient no end of good with that thumping destruction of Redhead on the weekend. They've now 21 points, but they are a huge um, quotient of 2.5 which gets them 0.8 in front of the, the nearest side, Mary Allen, to them. So if the finals were to be held today, it would be Port Stephens hosting Nelson May, Mary Ellen hosting Redhead, the West Journeyman playing Merriweather, and the West Waterboard and Walls End would play at their, the ground they co-tenant at Jesmond. Um, Dan, Port Stephen, yeah, the, the top four um, have got very good quotients, as you would imagine. That win from Walls End is absolutely critical for them going forward in the season, trying to get into the top four. They've resurrected a mini slump. Yeah, if, if you, you're looking at those quotients too, Merriweather sitting down in sixth has quite a superior quotient to everyone from fourth to ten. It's it's a big. It's actually the second best quotient in the competition um, after Port Stephens Pythons two point zero five. Uh, Merriweather's actually on 1.34. Now, that would be on the back. They've had an extra draw or washout, um, as as have the journeymen after their match on the weekend was washed out. So they've only played four fixtures. So looks like the games that they've won, they've won impressively. The games they've lost haven't been blowouts. So, but, um, and one of the other things, if you look at the bladder that we are, their wickets lost is the least in the competition, and that has a massive effect. As an example, ladies and gentlemen, Redheads lost 56 wickets. 
And Merriweather's only lost 30, so it's almost half the amount of wickets. And that has a massive effect. So as an example, when you go and win games one or two or three down, which is obviously uh, what, what's occurred there, it has a very big effect. Everything you do has an effect. You, you Sometimes you're better off finishing five for 145 than nine for 161 because the, the wickets makes a big difference. And that's why teams sometimes are circumspect in the way they go, particularly about run chases. Yeah, and it's a bit of an anomaly too. If um, did we want to briefly touch on the fixtures for this weekend before we move forward? Uh, if you'd like to do the fixtures, yeah, that's fine. So we might go there and then come back with a player of the year points. So I'm sure. I'll, I'll roll the, re- the reason I, I think it's relevant at this point in time, if we look at this weekend's fixtures, the teams that are currently sitting in the top four positions are playing against teams five to eight. That's extraordinary. And then 9v10 are playing each other. What an anomaly so, that is. So, so it, the, the City Adamstown Rosebuds are hosting the Premier Hotel. Well, that's a home game for both teams. Yep. Um, they're at Adamstown too. Um, so one of those teams, well, the Premier Hotel will be looking to get off the bottom of the ladder. And, and for how well they've been playing the last few weeks, it's, it, it's really, I mean, shows how tight the competition is that they're sitting last on the ladder. Um, because they're a better team than that. And they've shown that they're a better team than that. So they'll be looking to turn that into points and getting off the bottom of the ladder. The West Journeymen are hosting Merriweather. That's third versus six going by the current ladder, which I'd suggest that would be the game of the round. Yep. Uh, The top of the table, Port Stephens Pythons, are hosting Nelson Bay at King Park 5. Good luck, Uh, Nelson Bay. The West Waterboard are hosting Redhead. So that's... That's one of those games that really could go either way. That's That will also be a very tight encounter, I would imagine. And the Maryland Mudrats are hosting Walls End at Connolly Park. So there's some really good games of cricket yep. scheduled for this weekend. I'm just hoping they all get to go ahead with everything that's been going on. But, um, I mean, if, if there's no guarantee that the top four teams will knock off the, the next four teams of those games because it's just so tight. Um, and this is round 10, so it's the first round of the back side of the draw, so nine rounds in. Um, these teams didn't get to play each other in round one because the first two rounds were competition draws. We were in so Delta, now we're in bloody Omicron. That's exactly right. But we were delted out those first two rounds, weren't we? Yeah. Yeah, so these teams will be all meeting each other for the first time this Saturday. So um, that ladder, you know, if, if the bottom four knock off the top four, that bunch us up. Something shocking. Um, if results go per ladder, it'll start to spread out the top four from the bottom four. But with nine rounds remaining, um, yeah, very tight competition. Very tight competition. The, the only the only game there that I'm confident about tipping of all five of them is Port Stevens and Nelson Bay. I'd suggest to you that Port Stevens are better than even money, to be quite honest. And Nelson Bay in a two-horse race might be five to two, seven to two. That's how much I think that Port Stevens, and particularly playing at King Park, it's another world for them. So, yeah, look, it'll be a tough road trip for Nelson Bay. Yeah. Um, but again, this this Division One competition, if you don't turn up to play and you don't turn up respecting your opposition, good chance you will get your pants pulled down. But it's one of the most um, yeah. even competitions anywhere in New South Wales. When you look at top to bottom and how compressed the ladder is, yes, it is. A, we've made the point before they are, there are three-point wins only. And I think one of the things that, that suburban districts could look at um, going forward, and this is just a suggestion. It's not a critique. I'm not allowed to be critical. But a suggestion would be 
if they've got four points up for grabs, one of the things that could make this competition really interesting is to throw in a bonus point and having to get your runs inside 24 overs. What that would do is make things really, really interesting because you can go and play for four points and start yeah. and you start to get separation. But that's that's for another time and for the off season. I think that's at least worth considering. However, there are people that have been playing in this competition for years and years and years. People like yourself have been involved with this um, this particular division of cricket, and um, you know that they're probably quite comfortable with what they're doing. But it's just something they could consider. I think that. Uh, that's 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 just my opinion anyway. Uh, no, it's certainly been discussed. They're always looking to evolve and, and grow and, and make the competition more dynamic. So that's they are the sorts of ideas that um, are certainly welcomed. Um, I should just touch with the ladder. The top eight actually works in the finals, similar to the NRL, and I believe like the AFL. So one play four, two play three. I beg your pardon. You're right. Five play you eight, six that play seven. It's the, it's the problem McIntyre system. So it would be ports. Yeah, okay. So the bottom four would play each other elimination and top four get a double chance. My apologies, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, we might just go back to that. If, we, if we've got time down, it's our bloody podcast. We can do what we like. So if the finals were to be held today, ladies and gentlemen, so correction from me. Thank you, Dan. The finals would be Port Stevens hosting West Waterboard in a qualifying final. Mary Ellen hosting West's Journeyman in a qualifying final. And the sudden death eliminators would be Wald's End hosting Nelson Bay and Meriwether hosting Redhead. And that is... watering clashes there. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, That would be if the game's finished there. And as I said, there are seven points between 10th and 1st. And um, so, you know, anything's possible. I do think in the next couple of weeks that maybe teams six to one might start to get a little bit of separation, but that'll be interesting to to observe. Um, So that's our uh, preview of this week. Dan, Player of the Year points. Please, go ahead. Okay, so the Suburban District's Player of the Year points at the halfway stage. It is a four-way tie yep. at present. Currently sitting oh, on... Dan, six- just before you go any further, um, uh, just to let anybody know, just a bit of context here. Um, uh, we have permission to release this information. Uh, it's, yes. It's, uh, we have permission. We're not giving out things that we're not allowed to do. Uh, Dan is on the board of the Newcastle District Cricket Association, and this has been cleared, ladies and gentlemen. So there is no controversy here. We are able to do that. I think it's just fair to tell our listeners, Dan, um, where, where we stand with that. Please go ahead. Yeah, and and after after this round, obviously the points go into hiding as well until the end of season. So uh, the the player of the year uh, points are voted three on a three two one basis. So in no particular order, currently on six points is James Earl from the West. Uh, Waterboard, Jared Moxie from the Port Stephens Pythons, Simon Dixon from the Premier Hotel, and Joey Parsons from the Redhead Cricket Club. And on five points, there's a five-way log jam, so it's very tight. Um, Craig Hunter from the Port Stephens Pythons, Muhammad Umar from Walls End, Tim Cameron from Merriweather, Simon Knight from the West Journeyman, and Doug Giles from the Premier Hotel. Um, because there's players on four, three, two, and one as well. Uh, we'd be here all night reading all those individual points out, but it's certainly a log jam in the uh, Suburban District's Division One Player of the Year award. So those points will go, I believe, embargoes the word they use. That's correct. Um, but with nine rounds and a maximum of, well, DMS. It's points available. It's 16, I think, isn't it? It's 16. Actually, Eligible for 16 rounds, although there have been draws. So it's something on the lines of a maximum 14 games you can vote in. One or two sides haven't played as many games. And this is exactly what they do with the Dally M uh, in the National Rugby League. 
they have points up to a certain stage and then the points go um, into in camera, whereas the AFL do not release the Brownlow medal points at votes at any stage at all. So they're held by KPMG and they're actually released on, on Brownlow medal night, which for nuffies like me is the night of the year and people who aren't into AFL just sit there and think, what, what kind of a boring night's that? It's the best night of the year. <laughs> Um, especially when Blake's get, I think Ollie Wine's got 14 votes in the last four, he got 24 votes in the last 14 games straight or something like that to win the Brownlow medal this year. That's how good he was. Um, mate, so we've gone, we've gone through the, all of the things that are happening. Um, yeah, anything, any, any, you come up with unusual stats and there's always a stat somewhere and a wonderful performance. Dan, what have you got for us? Yeah, I've got three performances throughout the grades that I'd like to touch on. Um, the first of those, sort of, well, not actually a performance as such, it's more of a participation. Um, the Toronto Mud Crabs, who play down in Division 6, um, they had three people from their family take the field for the same team. Um, I'm sure their opposition was, but Mick Taylor, well-known, well-known Toronto Mud Crab. Um, his son, Liam Taylor, has also played, as did Mick's daughter, Grace, who played a very first game of cricket on the weekend. So father... Son and daughter. Um, Fantastic, that is. Would have been a very proud moment for the Taylor family. And Grace scored her first run. in, And um, from what I'm led to believe, uh, was the highest score of the Taylor family on the day. <laughs> um, I believe brother Liam took five wickets. But very proud father, Mick Taylor. And well done, Mick, Liam and Grace. Um, I'm not sure how many times that's happened where there's been a father, son and daughter all playing in the same game on the same team at the same time. It may well have happened. Um, and it's the first that I'm familiar with this season in the Suburban Districts competition. Uh, that is fantastic. And as we get more and more uh, women and girls uh, playing cricket now, as you would well know from being involved in an administration position, one of the, the two fastest growing sports in New South Wales are women's cricket and women's Australian football. And women's cricket has just exploded. And that also has made interesting, uh, it's interesting with grounds and so forth. Now you've got turf pitches being used two to three days a week often, especially when you had Masters. Cricket's just exploding in our area. And to be quite honest, I think uh, people like yourself on the board and the entire board and the people that run into say deserve enormous credit. Where this competition's come from in just a mere 18 months is quite extraordinary. It wasn't bad beforehand, but now it's just booming. Um, you know, it's, it's it's phenomenal where the game's got to, and, I, and it can only get better. And what will eventually happen is you'll have women's grade cricket being played on weekends. That will be the ultimate game aim, I would imagine. Even if uh, it is T20, the, this will happen as part of a natural progression. Yeah, no, very much so, Dave. And and they won't have to go to Sydney to play that high level of cricket. Hopefully in years to come, that'll be available in Newcastle. Um, but hats off, there's a lot of people and a lot of clubs who have heavily involved in the promotion and, and the running of women's cricket. And um, that's fantastic. It was unfortunate last night, the women's T20 final had been postponed due to the, the current um, COVID issues surrounding Newcastle. Uh, we are waiting on a date for that game to be replayed, but it certainly will be replayed. Uh, the West um, girls cricket, I think they were the Rosellas and the Waratah Mayfield girls who have made the previous two grand finals. So they're three grand final appearances in a row. Um, I think there was nine teams in the competition this year. Um, and that's 
the growth in that level. And I know with the social cricket, for instance, Stockton, I think they had over 90 ladies registered for the, the Friday night social uh, cricket, which is fantastic. I know down at Warners Bay, they're very supportive. And a lot of the clubs, Newcastle City, I guess, have been the the front runners in, in the promotion and, and, and the, uh, I guess, the assisting or getting women's cricket a profile in Newcastle. So, again, hats off to everyone involved because, as you said, it's, it's the fastest growing brand of of cricket, certainly um, locally, and it's, it's exploding everywhere else too. But, yeah, again, well done to the Taylor family. Indeed, I've just looked at the scores. They're five for forty-four, beat thirty-nine in that game. So, and you're right, uh, the 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 Sun took five for twelve, which is a great performance. Um, just while we're on women's cricket, um, it would be remiss me not to announce this and mention this. The um, a man who's done an enormous amount for women's cricket for many years is involved with Newcastle City, Tommy Anderson. Yes. Uh, Dan, he's just been announced as the New South Wales Country Women's Coach for the Australian Country Cricket Championships, which. Um, we're waiting on a venue and times and, and, and final arrangements for. I've got uh, um, some information as to perhaps where they may and when they may be played, but it hasn't been confirmed, so I can't release it. But Tommy Anderson has been officially named as the New South Wales women's uh, head coach, uh, country women's side. That is a fantastic achievement for a guy that has worked his backside off and has a lot to do with a lot of the best cricketers, um, female cricketers in Newcastle. The Newcastle Blasters have made the women's Plan B regional bash semifinals. They'll play the Coffs Coast Chargers and, and players like Kate McTaggart, who's an absolute jet of a cricketer, um, only 15. Um, well, she's the youngest sister of Angus and, and Wilson McTaggart, who played first grade this city. Um, they've, they're, they're, but all, everyone at Newcastle City, all of their young people, owe an enormous debt of gratitude to Tommy Ennis. And I, th- I thought it was the opportune time to, to mention no, wonderful. Definitely. Well, well done to Tommy. He's done amazing things there. Yes. With women's cricket, and um, he's got his academy there over at Wickham, a great facility there for um, indoor training, and, and great facilities there for people of all abilities yep. and all, um, I guess, standards of cricket to be able to go and practice. Indeed, you had two other um, mentioned uh, things that two other performances you like to mention. I do. Uh, one of them involves your beloved club, Stockton. Okay. So on the weekend in Division oh, Three, I know, I know, I put these scores into live scoring, so I know <laughs> who you're about to talk about, and I can tell you how many you made. 128. Yeah, go on. Yeah, so um, this this one's for not against, which is great for Stockton and great for Redders. Um, this game was due to be held at Bill Elliott Oval at Maryland, but uh, we received notice throughout the week that um, that ground would be unavailable through council as issues. Um, the only ground we had available was a synthetic wicket at Warner's Bay, so I guess. We could say it was a neutral venue. So Maryland Fletcher playing Stockton, uh, the Washingtons, the second of their two teams in Division Three. And Maryland Fletcher been bowled out two balls shy of their 35 overs for 192, which that's a fantastic score and very, be very unlucky to get run down. Well, they've won the game. They've won the game by 11 runs. Uh, Stockton have batted. They're 35 overs, give themselves every opportunity, scoring nine for 181. But in that run chase, as Dave alluded to, Lee Osmond's opened the batting and batted the innings 128 not out. 128 not out out of a total of 181. And only one other person got double figures, which was 13. So a huge effort there. 
Jonah Lancaster but get the chocolates there for Stockton. But 128 not out. Um, I'm sure there would have been a few cold ones at the Washington on Saturday evening. Uh, and, and looking at the, the scorecards that I could uh, that I could read, it was a bit harder to see on the photos. There were a lot of bands in that. John, Jonah Lancaster was the only other double guy to make person to make double figures, and Osman also took one for thirty one. An amazing innings, and he's had a great year. I would be very confident to say he's in the top uh, near the top of the run scorers in the Division Three. He's made a lot of runs already this year, Lee Osman, former first grade and second grade cricket. He's been playing for a while out at Raymond Terrace while he's finished his degree and he's come back and playing for Stockholm. It's great to have him back playing for us. Uh, wonderful achievement. Yeah. It's fascinating that Maryland and Stockholm played at John yeah, Street. Morning, mate. At, at, at the, at, if my memory is correct, the John Street Oval is the uh, synthetic deck in the middle of the two football grounds that are right there on the Esplanade at Warners Bay. Yes, yeah, it's, um, a, it's a fantastic facility, brand new um, facilities, and the wicket itself was relayed last season. Um, and we were just fortunate enough that that was the only available wicket last week. So ducks fell in a row there, I guess, that we were able to get that game on. And what a cracking game of cricket. 380 runs scored, 19 wickets fall, um, and everyone got a game of cricket. So well done there. The third and final game, um, <laughs> it actually involves Warners Bay, and this game was also in Division Three. And it's a name we've already heard once this season. But uh, Warners Bay were away to Valentine at Valentine Soccer, so a synthetic wicket. Um, Warners Bay have won the toss and elected a bat first. They've been rickrolled for 35. Uh, seven ducks, which we probably won't focus on. That's not what we want to talk about. But in defending that 35, we said 40 in Division 1 was a hard total to defend. Well, 35 is even tougher. <gasps> Valentine have got the run six down. Gracious me, I'm looking at the scores now. He's in done it 12 again. overs. But the opening bowler for Warners Bay, Luke Javesky, or Luke Jasevsky, sorry. I remember, was it seven overs, six maidens, five for one earlier that, this season? That's him. Well, he's bowled unchanged from one end. He's bowled 5.4 overs, two maidens, took all six wickets for 13. So he's done everything he can do to get his team across the line. Um, but I just thought any six was, you know, five was great, but a six was going that extra extra step. Uh, six for 13 in that six for 36 innings. So well done again to Luke. And I dare say he might be the leading wicket taker in that Division Three competition. I'd have to have a closer yeah. look at that. You'd have to go close. I'll tell you what, I wonder how many times in the history of Newcastle cricket that the team that won a game of cricket in a 40-over game has had no batsmen make double figures or sundries in that innings. Valentine and Albano's top scorers uh, were the opener, Mace, who made nine, plus sundries, also nine. No one else made double figures. The only people in the match that made double figures were my man Craig Welsh, who's been a long-time manager of the Warners Bay Australian Rules Football Club's first-grade side, uh, he made 14 off 57 balls, so he batted far longer than anybody else. And uh, um, a young man named Zach Grimshaw also yeah. got double figures for Warners Bay. He made 13, but it puts into perspective when those two make 27 and the other nine batsmen make 35, you understand what's going on. So what a, an amazing game of cricket. And again, Luke Josevsky um, nearly gets them home. Dan, was there anything else you wanted to talk about tonight, my friend? Yeah, finally, I just wanted to announce the Suburban District's Rebels Summer Bash squad for the Summer Bash, which kicks off this weekend, asterisk yep. pending 
current circumstances. Um, so in no particular order, the 15-person squad has been named. Yep. Um, so in no particular order, the captain is Josh Moxie from the Port Stephens Pythons, uh, Jared Moxie from the Port Stephens Pythons, Shafiq Syed from the Walls End District Cricket Club, Richard Moolman from Redhead, James Pride from Merriweather, Thomas Wilson from Warners Bay's Taralba Billy Goats, Tom Lavender from Merriweather, Stephen Pride, brother of James, also from Merriweather, Chris Dybert from the West Journeyman, Liam Taylor from the Toronto Mudcrabs. We talked about Liam just before. It's his yep. family who uh, had that fantastic achievement there on the weekend. Lee Williams from the Port Stephens Pythons. Sam Vashaw from the West Journeyman. Paul Gauchy from the West Journeyman. Mitch Crowett from the West Waterboard. And Alec Harrison from Warners Bay. Now, the team manager is Ray Rutten. And the team scorer is David Absalom. There's also four marquee players, but I've been asked to keep that under wraps until Sunday. But congratulations to those individuals being selected. They've been having um, net sessions throughout the, the start of the summer, getting together. A squad was whittled down from high 20s down to 15. So it's great that there's so many guys getting around in the suburban districts competition who want to play representative cricket. Um, historically, getting 11 blokes available a game outside of a Saturday was like pulling teeth. So and hopefully, the Fox Duro uh, himself is going to be the scorer. Is he our mate Dave Absalom? Dave Absalom will be scoring. He's the official scorer for the uh, Suburban Districts Rebels. He'll be scoring the... So they're, they're playing a double header this Sunday at Pasterfield Sporting Complex at Car- Cameron Park. So Cardiff Bullaroo or the Black Roses are hosting. Um, University Sea Dragons also there that day. So at 9am... It'll be Cardiff Bullaroo versus University at midday. It's the Suburban Districts Rebels versus Uni. And at 3 p.m., it's the Cardiff Bullaroo Black Roses versus the Suburban District uh, Rebels. Um, I'll be there on commentary on Frogbox. Um, I believe Mr. Absalom will be joining me for the first game. And Chairman of the Suburban Districts, Mr. Stephen Elliott, I believe, will be co-piloting for the first time. So... Dave, you've set a very high bar for all these Johnny-come-latelys from suburban districts to follow in your footsteps. Oh, um, steady on. Now, 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 you, now you're winding everybody up. You're a very fine commentator yourself, mate, so don't worry about me setting standards. I'm, think, I'm sure you'll have a ball being the, the head commentator. And uh, I'll, I'll say this, agent, Dan Saunders, the voice of suburban districts cricket in Newcastle. There you go. So I'll get you back there. You've been giving me enough of a wind-up of late. So make sure you listen to, to those games again. Cardiff, Bullaroo and Uni. To start, that's the nine o'clock set. The midday set is Union, the Suburban Districts Rebels, and then the three o'clock set is Cardiff Bullaroo and the Suburban Districts Rebels, all on Frogbox uh, with the great man Dan Saunders, the voice of the Suburban District Cricket in charge there. Dan, thank you so much for your time tonight. It's been an excellent long potty, but there's lots. there was lots to get through, which Dan, to be fair, had warned me about when he, uh, we were texting earlier today. Mate, you have a great weekend. Good luck on Sunday. I hope cricket gets on. I really do. Um, I want to wish everybody the best. And, uh, mate, thank you so much for your time once again. No, thank you, Dave. All the best to you and the family down there on the coast. And, um, yeah, if I don't speak to you beforehand, have a very Merry Christmas. All the best. Same to you, my friend. On behalf of Dan Saunders, this has been David Redden. Take care, everybody. We'll see you soon. Good luck um, with your cricket this weekend. Stay safe. Um, Look after yourselves, all right, up this particular Newcastle Lake Macquarie. Probably not the right time to go out. Just look after yourselves and your family. Keep safe. 
And um, on behalf of Dan, I just want to reach out to all of the people in northern Tasmania who are going through an unspeakable tragedy today. Um, terrible. With um, five children losing their life at a jumpy castle. I, I know it mightn't sound right, but I think it's the correct thing to do just to wish to reach out to everybody. That is awful. I cannot, as I've got grandchildren around about that age. Dan's got kids himself. And I just, I cannot imagine what the people of Devonport are going through tonight. So on behalf of Dan, we just reach out to them and we offer our deepest condolences and prayers and thoughts to everybody. Um, Northern Tasmania doesn't have much luck um, quite often with, with things like this. And this is just, just it's just awful. And uh, we, we wish everybody well. Take care, everyone. We'll see you soon.